Last week, the fourth installment of a collection of talks that, that we've been doing called Don't Call Me a Christian. Don't call me a Christian. Can you turn to somebody one more time this morning and just let them know, like, don't call me a Christian. Some of you are like, is that, is that a good thing? Is this a church or a cult or what are we doing here? And kind of the, the big idea of these talks is, is the fact that the term Christian is really only used three times in the entire Bible which is kind of ironic, and for a lot of us, that's brand new news because we would assume that the book that is all about, like, Christians would say that term Christian a whole lot more than three times. But what's even more interesting is that every time that that term is used, it's, it's used by outsiders as in kind of a derogatory format or derogatory manner to label uh, uh, insiders. It's, it's, it'd be kind of like, like somebody calling somebody like a redneck. It'd be like, you wouldn't really call yourself a redneck, like other people would label you, right? Like it'd be kind of calling somebody a nerd. Like you wouldn't call yourself. And that's kind of how that term Christian was, was in the scriptures. And, and consequently, the term Christian has been defined and redefined over and over again. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about how we can find Christians on either side of every argument, whether politically, socially, it doesn't matter. We find Christians arguing against each other, arguing their points and their belief systems against each other because Jesus himself, God himself, never really defined what a Christian actually is. But there's a more descriptive term that Jesus did use to define those who are following after him. And come on, see, see how many of y'all remember. And that term was the term disciple. That's right. He, he used the term Use the term disciple. In fact, last week we read from this quote from Steve Jobs where, where Steve Jobs was observing Christianity. He was not a follower of Jesus himself, but he was just observing Christians, so to speak. And he said this, that the juice kind of goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. He said the juice, the power, kind of leaves Christianity when it becomes all about what we believe and not really so much about what we actually do. And we identified last week specifically how, how the difference between Christian and disciple is that a, a Christian is all about what a person believes, while a disciple is all about what a person actually does. Kind of big differences there. And if you weren't here for, for any of the teachings in the last few weeks, you can check them out by, by going on our podcast, go on the website or iTunes or Spotify or wherever uh, wherever, wherever you kind of generally listen to, listen to podcasts. But today I want to go a little bit further as we close this thing out. And, and I want to speak from a message entitled, Do Whatever He Tells You. Do Whatever He Tells You. And before we jump into this, I want to pray specifically today that we lean in. And whether you are a follower of Jesus in here or whether you're just kind of checking things out and maybe you're skeptical about faith because you've run into some people who label themselves as Christians and they kind of turned you off. I want us to lean in this morning and maybe give this one more opportunity if that is you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, I want us to lean in even further today because I think there's some real practical application that we can begin to apply into our lives that will help, that will help not just you, but actually help us as followers of Jesus collectively actually make a difference in our world. It's one thing if we just gather together on a Sunday morning, but, but God forbid that that's all that we do 
as a collection of churches all across central Ohio. Like, may we be a people, and we, we, we can only take responsibility specifically for ourselves in here this morning, but may we as a community here at Ethos be a people who leans in and says, you know what, I actually want to make a difference outside of this place, not just come and play church. I want to actually be the church. Come on, somebody. Let's pray and trust that God's going to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would make up the distance between what I would humanly say, what I've prepared to say, what I've studied to say, and what you want to speak into the lives and the hearts of every individual, every family, and even every child back in Ethos Kids this morning. God, we pray for all of our servant leaders serving in kids today. Ask that you continue to give them wisdom passion and love for the emerging generation. Open up the hearts of every child to experience your love on this morning in Jesus' name. And we thank you, God, that we whooped up on that team up north. Everybody said, amen, amen. My wife said I'm allowed to pray for the Buckeyes every other week, but it's too much to pray every week. And since we're celebrating our 13th wedding anniversary today, come on, somebody. I wanted to honor her prayer or her request next week. So, is that okay? Okay. Um, 13 years, baby. Love you so much. Lucky number 13. It's going to be the best. Um, how, how many of you guys would say that you are, um, let's be honest in here, how many of you would say that you are rule followers? Can I see your hands? You say, I'm a rule follower. Uh, if I get instructions even, I like to read the instructions entirely before I jump into it. I like to follow the rules. I generally try to kind of obey the laws of the land, the speed limit. Um, many of you raise your hand. Okay, all right. Thanks, Chels, for your honesty in here this morning. And, um, and how many of you would say, not so much, kind of think rules are more of a suggestion, kind of a guideline of sorts. Can I see your hands? Okay. Thank you, Emily, my son's teacher, preschool teacher. Don't know what that means. Okay. Put in a request. Babe, get on that, send an email. But um, yeah, I, I, my, my wife and I um, married 13 years, and, and after, after being together for, for almost 15 years now, um, uh, we, we, could not be, we could not be more different when it comes to the purpose of rules. Um, she is through and through a rule follower. Like, I mean, like, you can't, like, even if a rule hasn't been written, she will, she will search for the rule. She wants a rule. She likes rules. I think she has a religious spirit. I've been trying to cast it out for years now. And kidding, joking, happy anniversary. And, and but, 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 like, I'm like the opposite. Like, I think rules are there, and I appreciate the rules. I'm thankful for the rules. I just think that rules are generally more of a suggestion. Like, I think, I think they're suggesting stay somewhere around 45, give or take 10, right? More so like give 10, you know, or take 10, however you look at it. But um, I hope Troy Sexton isn't in here this morning. I didn't see him, and that's good news. He's here? Okay. Troy's a state trooper. Close your ears. But um, I, I, I'm literally one ticket away from having my license suspended. Um, that's a true story. And the worst part about that is, is that I got two of the tickets in the exact same place, three weeks apart from each other. Literally, the officer pulled me over, and she got on the radio, and she's radioing my information, and the guy on the other end is like, wait, I think I pulled that guy over three weeks ago, and I heard him, and she was like by my window, and I said, yes, sir, you did. 
And I was like, could we have some grace here? And, and no. So, but, but what's funny is, what's funny is that, 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 now, that now that I'm a parent, and, and specifically with, with my 10-year-old, it's like I want, my, I want my daughter, Sophia, I want her to follow the rules. Um, but that doesn't go very well for me because, because she's like, Dad, you don't even always follow the rules. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's none of your business, though. <laughs> she's like, Dad, it's kind of hypocritical. She's never actually used that term. That's what she's described to me. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'm like, that is very, very hypocritical. And, and, and it's, it's interesting, right, when, when it comes to rules, especially as it relates to, as it relates to our Christian faith. And we, we talked about last week how, 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 generally speaking, followers of Jesus historically have tried to impose their way of thinking and their, their quote-unquote rules onto those who are not following Jesus. And we're not supposed to do that. And yet we're kind of known for that, though, aren't we? You know, you know my, my, my kids have rules, and, and, and my wife and I give them those rules, and, and for good reason, right? But you know who I don't give rules to? My neighbor's kids. You know why? Because they're not my kids. And a lot of times, as followers of Jesus... We do that to people, though, don't we? Well, I know that you've never really ascribed to follow Jesus, but I think it would be better if you at least did the things that Jesus followers should do. Meanwhile, those who are non-Jesus followers looking at us and like, but you're not even doing the things that you're supposed to do. It's kind of, it's kind of funny, right? Last week, we, we identified how we are not supposed to expect Jesus followers, or rather non-Jesus followers, to behave like Jesus followers but we are supposed to expect Jesus followers to behave like Jesus followers. Recently, I was reading this, uh, this article, and, and it, was this, it was this long research that had been done over an 18-month period all across uh, the United States. And it discovered that there were, there were three top things that overwhelmingly, over 70% of, of people in America, ascribed three characteristics or behavioral traits to Christians uh, in regards to the kind of the, what they're known for, like what they're known for. And, and, it, and it went in order like this. They're known to be judgmental, critical, anti-gay. That's what we're known for. It's like the exact opposite of what Jesus says that we're supposed to be known for. Like he, he's very clear, and if you weren't here last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he is very clear and lays out for us that those inside the church are not supposed to judge those outside the church. Which is why if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you get a pass. And I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not just saying that. Like you, you, don't, you can take whatever I say. If you're like, that's good. I want to apply that. Apply it. Great. We think it'll probably still help. But, but, but if, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to apply anything that we talk about. You don't have to apply any of the belief system that we ascribe to because this is, this is for those of us who have said, yeah, I, I, I see some value in this, and I've given my life over to following Jesus. Insiders, though, are not supposed to judge those outside of the, outside of the church. Now, have you ever asked somebody to do something, and you are convinced that they heard what you had asked them to do, but after following up with them after quite some time, you, you discover that they didn't do it? Like maybe if you're a parent, you've experienced this numerous times, right? Like maybe, maybe you're a school teacher, you've experienced this numerous times. If you're an employer or even if you're an employee, but you've been given an assignment and you're kind of overseeing a team 
for a season. You've got some authority to kind of lay out some groundwork and, and provide some instruction to people. And you follow up and you're convinced that after you had just laid out the instruction, people left, they were inspired, they were encouraged, expectations were clear. A week later, you're like, how's it going? They're like, what do you mean? Well, did you do anything? No. Like, that's really frustrating, isn't it? Like, isn't it, isn't it kind of like, it's almost somewhat debilitating to you. Like, I could have swore we were on the exact same page. Right? Like, we do this with our kids sometimes. We're like, like, why isn't your room clean? I told you three hours ago. Like, oh, I forgot. Like, what do you mean you forgot? Like, go clean your room. Like, I asked you to clean your room. Clean your room. Right? Like, or else I'm going to lock you outside. Like, this is just, that's the rule in our house. <laughs> Kidding, joking. But, but, but it is kind of frustrating, isn't it? Uh, it's kind of that same way when it comes to our when it comes to our faith in Jesus, in following the instruction of Jesus. To be a disciple literally means to be a follower of Jesus. And yet I think a lot of times, as followers of Jesus, we're okay with just being Christians. We okay, we're okay with, with just allowing our faith to be something that we believe in, so we kind of get like that free pass to heaven. And our faith in Christ begins with a belief, but it does not end with a belief. And there's two people in the scriptures that really talk a lot about this idea of application. The first one's Jesus, and the second one is the brother of Jesus, James. James, by the way, didn't even believe that Jesus was who Jesus said that he was his entire life. He kind of discredited his brother, Jesus, until Jesus died, was buried, and then James was like, wait, is that really you, Jesus? You're back from the dead? Shoot, I am so sorry. I've been talking trash on you your entire life. Like, James didn't even believe, like so many of us, he didn't even believe until he could see it with his own eyes. And yet, after James began to believe that Jesus is exactly who Jesus says that he is, James began to discover that there is something significant, not just about believing in Jesus, but actually following after and doing something as it relates to what Jesus wants and wills for his followers to do. James, James says this in James chapter 1, verse, verse 22. He, he says, don't merely listen to the word or to the instruction or to the scriptures and so deceive yourselves. He said, don't just listen so that you are deceived. And in fact, James is trying to lay something out here. He's, try, he's trying to let us know, like, hey, a lot of us, we tend to just kind of listen and we think, well, that was good. I listened. I heard. I'm good. In fact, James is referencing something that is not unfamiliar to you and I today in our 21st century church culture. Just as it is today, it was also 2,000 years ago that people thought, if I just show up at the synagogue, if I just show up at the temple, if I just show up at church and I listen, oh, that was good. Now I'm a religious person. I feel better about myself. I'm going to go on throughout my week. I'm good. And James is saying, look, if that's what you're doing, if you just kind of come in to kind of check off the religious box, he's like, you are deceiving yourself if you think that that's kind of like the end-all, be-all. We, we almost sometimes think, and we, we've kind of fallen prey to this way of thinking that, that God looks at us when we show up on a Sunday morning, he's like, I am so happy that you're in the building. Man, you crushed it. Your butt is in a seat. Good job. Like, and don't get me wrong, I really do think that, that God loves it when his people 
come together, are encouraged by the relationship of one another. And we soak and allow the presence of Jesus to remind us of how big he really is as we worship and sing out songs of praise and love and adoration to him. I think he is encouraged and finds a smile to come onto his face when he sees his sons and his daughters leaning in and accepting all people and loving all people in Jesus' name as we gather together in a format like a Sunday morning. But I think sometimes we assume that by simply showing up and listening and hearing that then God's like, oh, I'm going to give you a better parking spot at the mall this week because you listened. You, you get some extra credit on your test. You're going to get the answer wrong, but the teacher's not going to notice and you're going to ace the quiz. Oh, for you, you're going to get a promotion because you showed up and you listened which we're kind of making light of it, but sometimes we fall prey to assuming that by simply going through our, 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 our religious rituals and kind of just pursuing religiosity, that we're, that we're kind of like, there's like a credit that's attached then to our account because we've done something spiritual, something religious. And James says, if that's you, you're, you're deceiving yourself. And if that's you, I'm in the same boat with you. Because I can't tell you how many times I've read the scriptures. I've heard a podcast. I've sat through church. Like, I'm a church junkie. Like, you could probably say this is my profession. Like, I'm a professional church person. Like, I listen to so many messages. I've sat through so many sermons. And yet, I think about how many of them I've heard over and over again. And yet, I still haven't done it. And James says, you're deceived if you think that this is what it's all about. Now, if you're not a Jesus follower, or you know somebody who's not a Jesus follower, and if you're here this morning, you're probably listening to this and you're thinking, yes, tell them. Because you've probably experienced at one time or another, whether it's somebody that you work with, or it's a family member, or it's your neighbor, or it's a close friend, or or, or somebody even maybe underneath your own roof. And you, you've experienced at one time or another a Christian who kind of looked at you and looked down upon you because you didn't do what they thought you should do or what they themselves should be doing. And you felt judged or criticized by them, whether verbally or even just in the way in which they interact with you. And yet you look at them and you're like, but you don't do any of it yourself. You Cheat on your taxes just like I do. You talk about the boss behind his back just like I do. You look at women as they walk by you just like I do. You objectify humanity just like I do. Your priorities are pretty much similar to, to mine. You laugh at all the same jokes that I do. And I think sometimes non-Jesus followers, they got a pretty good point. I don't think it's any surprise that we would be thought of as judgmental, critical, anti-gay. Last night, we were walking into the Buckeye game. That's where we went for our anniversary. <laughs> and, and, there was, and, there, and there was, you know, a, a group of people. And, and, and look, I, I really admire their, their courage. I admire their boldness. I really do. But there were was, there was several street corner preachers. You know what I mean, right? Just kind of shouting with a megaphone. And that's thought, here we are again, known for what we believe, or maybe, but not so much known for what we do. And I just thought, man, if we could 
channel that energy into doing something as a community of people versus saying something as a community of people. Young Life has this saying, earn the right to be heard. I think that all followers of Jesus should understand that we've got to earn the right to be heard. And there has to be the opportunity to hear. Don't misunderstand me. But I think first and foremost, there must, there must be the opportunity to show. And so James, he, he goes on and he says, don't just, don't just listen so that you deceive yourself, but rather do what it says. Do what the scriptures actually say. What a novel idea, James. Like, oh, we're supposed to do something with what we just heard. He goes on, he says, anybody who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like, a, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, immediately forgets what they just saw. In other words, what James is saying is, is if you just listen to the word, then you go away, you don't do anything with what you heard. If you read the scriptures, then you leave, you don't do anything with what you just read. He's like, it's sort of like getting up in the morning, looking in the mirror and being like, oh, oh wow, that doesn't look very good. Yeah, well. But you know what's interesting is that none of us do that, do we? Because somewhere around the age of like 11, 12, 13 years old, we stop doing that. Think about for just a moment, uh, especially if you're like over the age of 30 and you started to age a little bit. And think about the amount of money. Think about all the products that are on your bathroom countertop to help you with the feeling of, oh, wow. Come on, think about when you travel and how big that bag is full of products just to help with the, Oh, wow. Come on. Like, this is, this, is, this is a reality in all of our lives. Like, we don't look into the mirror and then walk away. No, what do we do? We, we stay in front of that mirror until we no longer feel like, oh, wow. At least until we can be like, oh, okay. Isn't that true, though? Like, we kind of fix ourselves up and get really involved. And, and James is saying this. He says, look. You spend more time fixing what's in the physical mirror than you do fixing what's in the mirror of your heart. James is addressing something, and he's getting right to the core. He, he goes on even further, and he concludes here in verse 25, and he says, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the law that gives freedom. He says, whoever looks intently, whoever kind of really leans in and, and kind of looks really, okay, I see what this is saying. I want to I apply this into my life. It says, whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the law that gives freedom. Now, time out for just a moment. And this is, and I love the Bible. Uh, he, he, listen to what he says here. It feels a little bit like an oxymoron. He says, the perfect law, the law that gives freedom. Now, for me, naturally speaking, the law doesn't feel like it gives freedom very much, does it? The law tells me I can't drive any faster than I want to drive, and I can't turn on red, even though I can see all the way down, like three miles down the road, and I'm like, I, I'm turning on red, and, and we're just honest in here. I'm not, I'm not, I am not perfect. Uh, she is, I'm not, okay? I, I, it's true, but, but, but the, the law doesn't feel, it feels restrictive. 
Well, well, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when I read the scriptures and I read the Bible, as I hear the preaching of God's word, it doesn't feel like the law of freedom, does it? When I, when I read the do's and the don'ts, the, shall, the shalls and the shalt nots, it doesn't feel very, very freeing, does it? I was, I was very fortunate to have a dad who was very engaged in my life as a really, excuse me, as a really young child. And, and he, he, he raised us in church, but more, more than more than that, he was, he was very engaged, just having conversations with me even as I was younger. And I, I'll never forget, even as I was younger, that, that my very first lemonade stand. I'm telling you, my first lemonade, it was me and my sister. We had this little lemonade stand, and, and we made, like, I don't know, like, like $4 after we split it all up, you know. And I'm in, like, first or second grade, and, and, he, and he brought me inside that evening, and he's like, okay, son, now we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, gonna teach you how to tithe. I'm going to teach you how to give as the scriptures talk about and he, he just laid it out for me he says and then I want you to put 10% aside I want you to I want you to then save 10% I want you to be generous which by the way that the, the term tithe actually isn't even a New Testament term we're going to actually teach on it a little bit here later because the Bible says a lot about money and I don't know if you recognize this in your own life but money is one of the biggest stressors in our lives and I think we ought to learn how to live as good wise stewards so that money doesn't stress us out the way that it does today you know that money is the number one factor of divorces in America today? And yet, and yet pastors aren't really talking a lot about how to steward God's money as it, relates to, as it relates to God. I think we need to talk about this more. I really, really do. And if it makes you uncomfortable, just, just lean into it and just know this, that it probably makes the person next to you uncomfortable too. But it never made God uncomfortable. He is the giver of all good things in our lives, including, including finances. But I remember when my dad sat me down and he says, you're going to, you're going to give 10, you're going to save 10. And we, we set up a bank account, we set up a savings account, even when I was in, in second grade. And then he said, now you can live off of the other, the other $3.50, you know. And I'm like, yes, Jolly Ranchers, you know. But, but what's funny is that that was easy when I was younger, but as I got older and, and it turned into hundreds of dollars, and, and man, that, was, that got a little bit harder. And it felt very restrictive. Didn't feel like it was freedom. But now as I've gotten older, and we have not always done everything perfect with our finances, far from it, but, but we've tried to lean into what is God, how does God want us to steward this? He gave it to us. And, and I'm, I'm under the impression, the belief, that we are just simply vessels for God. That whatever God gives us, he wants to use it to flow through us. And as long as we're stewarding it well and faithful with a little, like we talked about several, about two months ago now in the in a, in a series on, on comparison, if we're faithful with a little, God will continue to expand us and give us, give us more and more so that he can use us to be a vessel to help expand his kingdom because the kingdom of God increases and grows at the speed of our individual sacrifice. And so God is calling us to be good stewards of it. And yet what I've discovered over time in our lives is that, you know what's even more restrictive and less freeing? Is when we're living paycheck, paycheck to paycheck, and we can kind of barely get by and we're stressed every single month because we're just not sure where the next dollar is going to come from. There's a freedom that you found. And it might not be initially, but it will be eventually. I, I, I'll never forget when I was in fifth grade. Never forget it. And my dad sat me down for the very first time. In fact, he didn't sit me down. He was actually working on the water heater. I'm in fifth grade. This was a pretty terrifying moment for me because he started talking about the birds and the bees. 
He's like, all right, son, we're going to have a talk on sexuality and sex. I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Dad. You know, and, 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 and he began to tell me, he's like, son, he said, if, if you want to have intimacy in your relationship later when you're married, you've got to, you've got to lean into the teachings of Jesus and the way in which the scriptures apply morality to our lives today as a follower of Jesus. And I remember even hearing that word intimacy and be like, do, 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 do. What are you talking about intimacy, Dad? I don't, I don't even know what that means. I'm in fifth grade. Like, but, but he kept talking to me about it over and over again as, as, as time went on. My dad had that talk with me every single year. And I'm so thankful that he did because at the time, when you're 16 years old, that feels pretty restrictive. But now that I'm 35, been married for 13 years, I, there's a whole lot of freedom that I found in our relationship. I remember, I remember, too, the first time that my dad talked to me about forgiveness. And he told me, he said, Jordan, it takes a bigger man to say I'm sorry than it does to puff out your chest in pride and never admit that you're wrong. I'll never forget it because I did something, I did something that, that, that was wrong, that was offensive to, to my stepmom. And, and I was like, I'm not saying I'm sorry, though I knew I needed to say I'm sorry. And over time, I began to realize that unforgiveness it's actually like drinking poison, expecting the other person to become sick. Because when you really learn to forgive, even if, even if it wasn't your fault, there's a freedom that you find in forgiveness that can never be found if we puff out our chest in pride. And Paul is saying here, he says, if you look intently into the perfect law, it may not right now feel like freedom, but I'm telling you, I'm a good God. I'm a good father. And this will bring about the greatest freedom that you could ever experience in your entire life. We've, we've got to lean into what Paul is saying here. And he goes on, he says, look, if you, if you look intently into the perfect law, the law that gives freedom, and you continue in it, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it, listen to this, they, those who do, will be blessed in what they do. The blessing isn't in what we believe. It's not in what we hear. It's not even in what we say. The blessing is in what we do. That's, that's what the bless. So many of us, over the course of our lives, we try, we try faith in Jesus for a season, don't we? I mean, I tried that morality thing. I tried that generosity thing. I, I, I tried that forgiveness thing. And it just it didn't work for me. I tried to live... According to, it just didn't work for me. So I'm okay with just being a Christian, but following Jesus, I just kind of want my ticket to heaven, but following Jesus, making a difference with our lives here on earth today, in our community in 2019 today, I don't know, I'm going to leave that for the next guy. I'm going to leave that for the next girl. I'm going to leave that for those other people over there. Because I tried it for a little bit, and we didn't feel the freedom initially, and we stopped, I think, so often we give up on God's best for our lives just one moment before we're about to see the real breakthrough. I wonder how many dreams have fallen prey to complacency just one day before God was going to bring about the blessing and the breakthrough. I wonder how many visions people have let go of, how many prayers we've stopped praying just one day 
before the blessing was, I wonder how much freedom we would experience in our lives if we leaned into the perfect law, the law that another translation says is the law of liberty, brings about real freedom, true wholeness in our lives. We can try to do this thing on our own, and that is such a common, popular practice today in our world here in America. We kind of like to each his own. You kind of do what you do, but as followers of Jesus, we've set that aside. As followers of Jesus, we're saying, I'm surrendering the entirety of my being so that I can do what Jesus wants me to do, so I can make a difference in the world around me. Heaven forbid we be a church that is simply content with listening. And if you brought a friend today, let them know I'm usually happier than this. <laughs> You're like, he seems really angry. I don't mean to sound that way. I'm sorry. I'm just getting passionate. In a lot of ways, too, just understand me that I am preaching to myself, chief of all sinners here. Like, I, I, I've, I've, I've recognized in my own life that if I preach for my weaknesses, I never run out of material. And this is for all, we are, we, are, we are in this thing, we're in this thing together. I want to close with, I want to close with this. In fact, I was going to have the band come back up, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm running over time, so let's not, let's not do that this morning. But in John chapter 2, verse 5, the mother of Jesus, Mary, she, she tells Jesus, she, she says, I'm sorry, she tells some servants in reference to Jesus, she says, hey, 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 hey guys, hey, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And I was, I was reading this recently and it just kind of popped, just kind of popped out at me. How often in our lives today, life feels so complicated, doesn't it? And, and, yet, and yet I think Jesus kind of came to uncomplicate some things. This, this phrase that Mary offers as it relates to her son, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King. Do whatever he tells you. That term do implies that there is an action that we are to apply to our lives. There's, there's something that we are to do. That the miracles of God are not reserved for those who dream, but for those who, who do. This term whatever, do whatever, do whatever. It's an open-mindedness that when we approach the scriptures, we approach the teaching of God's word, that we say whatever means whatever. No strings attached, no restrictions. As a follower of Jesus, I lean into whatever you're telling me to do. Just this past week as I was studying this, I just felt impressed to ask us as I felt the Holy Spirit was kind of impressing upon me, are you able to carry what you don't understand? Are you able to apply what you don't right now currently understand? Are you able to step out of the metaphorical proverbial boat, so to speak, when it doesn't look like you're gonna be walking on, on water? Do whatever he, he, he. This is a specific term. Do whatever he, meaning our Lord Jesus Christ. Who are you looking to for the answers of the complicated questions in your life? Are we looking to Google? Are we looking to our friends? Are we looking to the latest self-help book? Or are we leaning into what God, what God is saying? Who's leading and guiding your life? Do whatever he tells. And here's the importance of listening. Yes, we have to lean in. God, what are you saying? I want to look intently at what you are, what you're saying. Do whatever he tells you. Not anyone else, you. And here's where Christians are so famous because we, 
think that the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus apply to everybody else except for us. And so we read a scripture or we sit through a talk like this and we're like, you listening? Because, honey, this is for you. You know, you know that, right? The pastor's talking to you. No, I think God is talking to you. Sorry, I didn't mean to point right at you. I love you. You're awesome. <laughs> Felt bad there. Do whatever he tells you. I want to close with this, close with this. And there's two types of people as it relates to doing God's will. I think the first, it's those who just don't know. We, don't, we just don't know. And that's okay. But let's lean in so that we can, so that we can know. Because those who know have the potential to grow. But those who don't, we'll find ourselves living a life of complacency. The second category of people, and there's probably a whole lot more than this, but this is just kind of what I was thinking of, are those who know but don't do. We know, we just don't do. We, we choose convenience over conviction. Convenience will always lead to mediocrity while conviction will always lead to God's purpose being fulfilled in our lives and God's kingdom being established through you. Convenience says, I trust in my own wisdom. I know what's best for my own life. While conviction says, I trust God because I'm convinced that he is for me. I'm going to close with this story. Just this past summer, Judah, our, our youngest, he's five years old. We were, we were really encouraging him to kind of jump off the side of the pool. Okay, okay, Judah, we're at, we're at, the, we're at the pool here. And there's, there's people everywhere. But buddy, I want you to jump off the side of the pool. And at, and at first, he would kind of jump if I was just like right in front of the ledge and he would just kind of take a little little leap and and over the course of time he he kept pushing me back he said daddy go farther daddy go farther daddy go farther and eventually okay buddy okay jump and he would run and jump as far as he could and jump into my arms and but when somebody else was there a friend or a family member they'd say okay Judah jump into my arms and Judah would say no, daddy's arms, da daddy's arms. You better believe it, daddy's arms. Get over here, you little cute kid. But you know, what's interesting is, is he wanted daddy because he had learned to trust daddy. It's the same way in our own lives. God, God is such a good father tell you, man, he's not expecting you to leap. In fact, Proverbs says that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. He, it's the steps. He's just saying, just take a step. Just one small step. We, we, we set these big, ambitious, audacious goals sometimes, don't we? And God's like, whoa, whoa, whoa just, just take a step. It's all I'm asking that today you take one step closer in obedience to what you did yesterday what you did last week, or what you did last year. Because our God is a good God. Our God is a patient God. And our God is our Father.